Hello, coconuts. Welcome to another episode of TFC Stock Geek Out. It's not always about tech with us, <laughs> believe it or not. I believe actually this stock would be a useful foundation for your portfolio. You'll get that joke in a second. <laughs> in today's episode, we will dive real deep into Brookfield Infrastructure Partners and how it can diversify your portfolio. Did you get the reference? Foundation, infra, <laughs> All right, joining me today is a familiar face, Tim from Prosperous. He's the head of content and investment lead at Prosperous. He has over 10 years of investment and content experience with the likes of Schroders and Motley Fool, covering everything from the U.S. stock markets to Asian equities and multi-assets. For this reference, this episode was recorded on the 6th of September, 2022. Our discussion today is solely for education and entertainment purposes. It does not serve as any form of advice or recommendations. Thank you for loving what we do and empowering us financially to do more for you. Now, let's geek out. Hey, coconuts. Welcome back to another episode of Stock Geek Out. Today, we have Tim, right, the head of content and investment lead at Prosperous. We are here to talk about an awesome stock. It's called Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. Don't worry, I also have not heard about it. So <laughs> Tim's here to, to explain a little bit more on, on what, what, what this is about and, and why it's a good play, if it even is a good play, right? Um, and he has, you know, over 10 years of investment in content experience, a little, a little bit more about him with the likes of Schroeder's and Motley Fool, covering everything from U.S. stock markets to Asian equities and multi-asset. He's a passionate advocate of educating investors on the benefits of long-term investing and how to find the best-in-class structural growth stories amid fast-moving world. Tim's also a certified trainer for the SGX Academy. Welcome, Tim. Thank Welcome you. Back, Thank brother. you, Rakesh. Yeah, no, <laughs> good to be back. Good to be back. Hopefully I can shed a bit more light on uh, Brookfield Infra for, uh, for you and the listeners. Definitely. You know, you know me and tech, so I mean, yeah. this, is definitely, <laughs> this is definitely not tech. So. This is the opposite of tech. Yeah, this is like real, real assets, like not digital. <laughs> and in all fairness, we should be talking about these sort of uh, assets now, right? Yeah. Because let's be honest, uh, my portfolio is crap. <laughs> I am not diversified whatsoever. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I think this would be a good... Uh, opportunity to yeah yeah to, to kind of i guess in this environment where, where everything tech is just being hammered i think it mm. might be a good idea for every you know listeners and and anyone who's not diversified to think about ways that they can diversify their portfolio because um yeah obviously you know finding yourself i mean i'm also 50 60 percent in tech so it was pretty painful right. yeah with the drawdown, <laughs> okay. right so but you know i think thankfully there have been other areas of the portfolio for me that have, that have helped buffer that so i think this is a good reminder in this drawdown of um you know the importance of diversification gotcha yeah gotcha yeah i mean that's that's a good one I think let's let's dive down into Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, right? Mm. Just before that, I do want to tell Coconuts is actually the first time we record. Oh, I'm recording it in studio. Um, <laughs> please let us know if you like it better. Right? <laughs> Does it sound better? I hope I hope you say it's the same, so I can stay at home and continue <laughs> recording. <laughs> but yeah, uh, let, let us know the, the feedback, all all of that, right? Mm. Um, thanks for signing to our DMs, and and uh, you know we love to see you there as well. Okay, let's get into Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. All right, Tim, what are they? Okay, so basically, um, Brookfield Infrastructure is a um, infrastructure company that owns you know multiple assets across uh, different verticals. Um, these mainly come under four segments, right? Utilities, mm. uh, transportation, uh, midstream energy, which basically it means like natural gas and like gas liquid pipelines, yeah. uh, and data, which would include sort of like your data centers and telecom towers, right? 
Okay. Um, so an example would be, you know, assets that they own and operate uh, include like 7.3 million electricity and natural gas connections, okay. over 30,000 kilometers of rail operations, uh, 13 yeah. terminals like port terminals, um, over 3,800 kilometers of toll roads, uh, and 17 natural gas and liquid processing plants. You know, and then on the data center side, they have about 50 data centers and um, over 160,000 uh, telecom towers. Uh, so they basically are, I think, first and foremost, you know, they're not really a utility. I think people would think that they're more mm. of a utility looking at their asset base. Um, yes. But what they do is they are, first and foremost, a capital, a capital allocator, a capital recycler. So they look for opportunities to buy underperforming assets or cheap okay. assets, um, which they think they can then turn around and, you know, uh, generate a, a high like, internal rate of return out of okay. and then sell on. And then they'll recycle the capital they get from asset the sales. Games. Yeah, to, to buy to buy um, to buy assets where they think they can return, they can deliver a higher uh, return from. Okay, so they're effectively a bit like a. I mean, thinking of it this way, they're almost like a PE fund, right? I'm gonna get, yeah. I'm gonna get something yeah. that I'm gonna make more money out of. It's not doing so well. Yeah. So I'm gonna effectively make it better, mm. sell it, mm. take the gains. And, and then rinse, re- repeat. rinse repeat, yeah. But but in the in the infrastructure world, basically owning the real assets of the economy, you know, things that make it tick, as as I've just explained, sort of data centers, mm. you know, rail, uh, rail cargo, um, toll roads, um, and so they are global in nature. I mean, they get about four. So if you think about revenue from a a, a normal you know a normal stock or a normal company like a Microsoft or a Google or a, a Facebook or whatever. Um, for infrastructure companies, it's more based on funds from operations, which is yeah. what are they, you know what's the cash that they're generating from uh, the assets that they own, right? Got it. And so, in terms of the FFO, that's the uh, the, the shorthand name for FFO, funds from operations. Okay. Um, they generate about forty four percent from North America, so that includes obviously the US and Canada. Right. Uh, and then they have about twenty percent each in South America, Europe, and Asia Pacific. So they are quite diversified. In okay. that sense, so they have, you know, they have um, on the ground teams in, in every region. They're very, very, you know, meticulous in terms of how they go through deals. Okay. Uh, and I think the the key for them is they have a track record that backs it up, right? So it went public in two thousand nine. It's um, sort of outperformed the S and P on annualized basis uh, since, since then, then. Since then, over the past thirteen years, so it's generated wow. a return of about nineteen percent annualized total return versus the S and P five hundred's eleven percent. And in terms of the distribution, they obviously also pay a dividend. So this is a, another reason why I, I like this stock. It's a little bit different in terms of it owns an asset. Uh, it owns assets, but then it spits off the cash to to distribute out to to unit holders. Uh, and it's grown okay. that dividend at a CAGR of about uh, 10% over the past 13 years. So in terms okay. of, you know, the track record, I think it's there. Um, yeah. It's not your dividend aristocrats that have been, you know, delivering dividends for 50 years. <laughs> but that's yeah. only because it went public, so like 2008, 2009. 2009. But, you know, they, they have managed to to deliver outsized returns over, over um, their lifespan so far. And so they have a very, very good... Um, reputation and they're twenty seven percent owned by Brookfield Asset Management, which is okay. obviously the massive uh, uh, asset manager based out of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, a lot of their top management actually has a lot of experience either working within Brookfield itself uh, and then moving on to the infrastructure side. Uh, and so, they benefit a lot from actually having a lot of connections with other institutional investors. So they. Okay. On certain deals, will go in with uh, you know with with specialized investors. For example, they bought some 
data centers in South America. They bought a portfolio of data centers in South America back in okay. 2019. Uh, and they did a JV with Digital Realty, which is obviously, as you know, one of the biggest uh, data center operators yeah. in the world. And so I think that kind of speaks to their uh, their reputation among you know investors as well as as well as asset owners. People know them. Uh, they've got a great reputation for risk management, um, obviously delivering returns that, that they do. Uh, and so people mm-hmm. want to partner with them and people are, are, are willing to partner with them. Um, right. So I think they benefit a lot from that. And that's that in, in itself is mainly, a, a, I guess, a function of the scale they have. It's just got massive scale. Got it. And, and it's, I mean, we're talking about infrastructure, but it's not necessarily always just about roads and, and, and train lines and all of yeah. that. Like what you just mentioned with, with data centers. Data centers, and, right. And so they're actually moving a little bit more into where yeah. this growth is going. To right. Be. Exactly. So actually management describes themselves uh, as a quote-unquote yeah. grotility. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so they're a bit, okay. a bit cringe, cringy, um, but, yeah. <laughs> but effectively what that means is, you know, obviously there's that growth that you have, but mm. with the utility-like attributes, you okay. know, that, that, that are defensive, right? You've got your, you know, you know, if there is a recession, this is always quoted as one of the, the names that is if recession-resistant or recession-proof. I mean, no company's really recession-proof effectively, yeah. but things will still need to be transported. There's still increased demand for data. There's still increased, you know, demand for um, for gas pipelines because there's, there's a squeeze on investment. So there's not enough supply. So I think even if there is a recession, um, you know, one of these, the Brookfield infrastructures of the world will probably find opportunities to pick up cheap assets because they've got the scale and they've got the liquidity to, to buy on the cheap. Mm. Um, but then again, on the flip side, you know, that could be, um, it could be hard for them to, to, to offload assets that they don't want to own anymore. So I think there's, there's a few ways of looking at it. But I think in, you know, overall, if you're looking at a recession or if you're looking at a hard time um, for the global economy, owning real assets, Brookfield infrastructure, I think is is one of the best ways to, to set up a defensive tilt to your portfolio. Got it. So let's, let's dive down a little deeper here, right? Yeah. So um, we have the, what were the, what did the founder call it? Grow, growtility? Growtility, yeah. Growtility, right. right. With the so, growth potential as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But we're not obviously talking about big, massive spikes in growth here, right? No. We're talking about infrastructure. Yeah, infrastructure, and right. And one of the things that you mentioned was the fact that, you know, during um, a recession, when yeah. we mentioned recession-proof, mm. during the recession, technically, and, and more so now, you mentioned data is important. Yeah. Increasingly important. Yeah. But also supply chain is Massive, massive. Right? It's yeah. almost almost a commodity. Yeah, thing, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've seen what what Redmart and Lazada is doing to us, yeah. charging us extra yeah. money for this <laughs> delivery, right, right, delivery right? right? Yeah, exactly. Booking right. slots, right? <laughs> 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 Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So you know, ships are becoming more expensive. Gas pipelines, yeah. all that needs to be built. Roads need to be built. Mm. So you would then see that this the angle um, that they're going to play. Yeah, the slow, long game angle. Exactly. So this is one of those that is, I mean, in a way, just like the renewable energy transition, this is something that is going to continue to be in demand over the next 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, you see all those studies. There was that World Bank study saying by 2040, there needs to be something like, you know, 30 trillion in uh, investment into Mm. infrastructure globally. I mean, Asia itself is it needs about ten to fifteen, you know, trillion by by two thousand thirty or forty. So, this is something that is going to continue to build, just because, as you said, there's been there's been underinvestment, at least in the West, for a long time in, in investment infrastructure, mm-hmm. and that's starting to catch up with 
you know, with um, with the economies. And so there is really a need for these types of assets. Uh, and the owners of these types of assets are going to have much more pricing power, right? Because there's such a scarcity of quality, quality assets that they can, uh, that they can, um, that they can charge, right? So I think it's, it's more the fact that Brookfield is scouring the globe looking for the best investments in the infrastructure space, um, the highest quality assets, and then trying to, you know, work with partners or either go in with Brookfield asset management or by themselves to acquire these assets uh, and then really deliver a superior return for, uh, for, for investors. But I think part of it is also, I mean, gas pipelines for them is actually quite a big, is actually quite a big portion of their business. Mm. Um, but they see it, ESG now is, is huge, right? So all these, Absolutely. all these groups, Brookfield and, and obviously BlackRock, they're all talking about ESG. So when you think about Brookfield Infra, they're thinking about natural gas as, the bridge energy between oil and coal towards renewables, right? Because renewables right now, they only make up something like 10%, I think, of total energy generation globally. And so there's there's a still a long road ahead of them, but there's just not enough supply of that coming online, right? So natural gas, there is. There are LNG terminals, you know, in, in Qatar, in, in Asia, in the, in the mm-hmm. West Coast uh, and East Coast of the U.S. Yeah. So these guys are becoming more important players in that energy transition. And so I think Brookfield really eyes an opportunity there. I mean, the whole the whole war with Ukraine, right, Russia-Ukraine, I think it really highlighted the fact that there's obviously, A, way too much dependence on, on Russia for oil and gas. But secondly, you know, they, they, they need to diversify for energy security. And so mm-hmm. now they're looking at exporting gas uh, LNG from the U.S. East Coast. I think there was a deal signed between the U.S. and, you know, European EU yeah. to try and improve that flow of natural gas from the U.S. And so at the end of the day, who are going to benefit? Who's going to benefit, right? A lot of these asset owners that are, are going to be shipping this. And obviously, Brookfield Infrastructure is going to be one of those is going to be one of those players. So I think it's it's there's still investment into natural gas into LNG. It may not be the cleanest fuel, um, but there is demand. Like you know, as as we look at oil, there's still oil. Nice. Look at all the energy players exactly. this year, right? So it's been it's been an interesting um, it's been an interesting trend to watch. But I think it's is again this is a trend that will play out over over five, ten, twenty years. Got it. And I mean, it's good good to see that they're also moving towards software assets, like you know, data centers and, mm. and so on and so yeah. forth. So let's let's dive down into the management bit, right? Because that, right. that shift for me is is important. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and as we do in in stock geekouts, we be trying to understand the motivation behind um, mm. the management. Firstly, are they capable? Are they going to keep go- growing? Growing, yeah. Whichever, right? Right. Are they right. going to pivot the company, expand the company? Yeah. Tell us a bit more about them. Yeah. Okay. So you know, founder led. I think when we in- invest in individual stocks, the one of, one of the keys that a lot of investors say is, oh, is it founder-led? And if it's not mm. founder-led, then maybe it's not worth investing in. But I think when you look at asset owners and infrastructure, it's a totally different game to something like a SaaS you know, play, right? That is, that is asset light and you're, you know, you're a complete startup. These guys own assets that are worth billions and billions of dollars and they have mm. to operate them and they have to have a professional team in place to do that. And so these guys at Brookfield are, are top-notch in terms of their experience. Um, the BIP CIO uh, 
Brookfield Infrastructure CEO rather is Sam Pollock, and he's been with Brookfield since '94. Mm. Um, he had previous roles as Chief Investment Officer at Brookfield itself, Brookfield Asset Management, uh, and oh. he also worked within the corporate investment and uh, private equity businesses at Brookfield. Um, and so he's been CEO of Brookfield since 2006. So there's some con- continuity there. He knows the business very well. It's been about so 15. he brought it to IPO actually. Yeah, he actually brought it to IPO. So it's been about 16, coming on 16 years now as CEO. Yeah. So he's there. He knows the business very, very well. Um, 20 managing partners within the team, about 22 years experience overall average and 14 years uh, with Brookfield among those uh, 20 managing partners. And I think they have about 2,300 corporates, uh, you know, like execs as well working for them. Um, wow. So there's there's a massive team of expertise there. Uh, and what they have is they have the they have the backing of Brookfield Asset Management as well, which mm. I think is that soft, that soft power that you, isn't really tangible maybe, but it lends itself to the company being able to leverage the Brookfield name to get, you know, lower cost of funding, partnerships with other asset owners that want to buy in or invest. And so there's a lot of cachet, I think, attached to that, to have the backing of of Brookfield Asset asset Management and the size and and sort of scale that they have because they can raise money at lower lower rates, Uh, they can issue equity. And so they actually have been issuing equity um, shares wise to raise money. But the key is, is, is that diluting returns and is that diluting sort of the payout and, and the DPS? And, and it's not at all. It's actually been growing, as I said, about 10% through the payout, right? And, yeah. and the total return of the, of the shares, is, is, as, I, as, I said, as I mentioned, is, has, been, uh, has beaten the S&P. Wow. Mm. So let's, let's take it back. Right? So founder yeah. led, yep, I understand that one. Been, been around for a while, brought it to IPO. Yep. Now moving towards, right, uh, effectively almost a different set of infrastructure as well. Yeah. What are these, you know, and, and uh, I do I do agree, and I think that's completely fair that the, the association yeah. with, with BIP, the asset management firm, sorry, yeah. um, is the one that is, it's always there at the back, right? It's like, hey, yeah. I want to bid for this, but don't worry, I got those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anything goes wrong with me, <laughs> yeah. or if I need some help. Right, yeah. I've, I've got that backing. You've got that right? backing, yeah. And so I think that is the key because they bring their expertise to maybe an asset owner, you know, they'd be a bit more comfortable working with the Brookfield Infra just because they have so much more experience. So if someone mm-hmm. says, you know, if, if a company wants to sell one of their assets, there wouldn't be as much pushback from that actual particular asset and its employees because Brookfield Infrastructure has that record of coming in and helping the, the operations turn around and also generating a higher return. On, uh, on investment. And so in terms of like the internal rate of return and, and what they're looking at in, in terms of return on invested capital, they aim for about 12 to 15% uh, return on invested capital for, for their projects. And they have a very structured uh, mission. So I mean, I think we were also talking about mission, vision, but yes. what they look at is they have a structure in terms of how they look at the payout that they want to increase every year. And so they aim to do five to 9% every year a dividend compounding and that has okay. compounded at, uh, at the higher end right that's compounded about nine ten percent over the past 13 years right. so there's that and then they think about what's the ffo payout ratio i don't want to be over leveraged there so they're super conservative in the payout they don't want the payout of ffo um in terms of the dividend to be sort of in the 90s hundreds range right so the actual ffo payout in the last quarter was around 69 percent, but they want it to be in the range mm. ideally of 60 to 70 percent. so they're getting there uh, they're averaging into 69 now and so they have you know very very specific targets on how they want to achieve things and how they want to grow uh you know funds from operations and they've managed to grow funds from operations 
valuations at a 15% CAGR over the past 13 years, right? Wow. So that's, that's an that impressive. What, that's what they estimated? They've done over since 2009. Yeah, they've estimated about, it's been about 15% uh, growth CAGR, okay. like in FFO funds from operations. Yeah. Not bad. And that's that's their motivation then, right? So it's, I need to pay out this much, therefore I need to look at the investments that will make me. We'll be X. making, yeah. And how are we going to, how are we going to recycle and re, um, you know, reinvest capital that we've gotten from asset sales? And are mm. we going to be able to just, just like, there's that argument, right? If, if I think was it the Warren Buffett quote of you know if you don't don't pay a dividend if you can if you can earn a higher return on that capital yeah. where you reinve- yeah. reinvesting it, right? So these guys, that's their whole business model. It's basically they still pay out a dividend, thankfully, but they also reinvest that capital because they see when they get that money, they can reinvest that capital a higher rate of return in in other projects that they that they've been um, that they've been doing due diligence on, right? So that's what they that's what they aim to do. Got it. Then then the question begs, right? Why even give dividends? Yeah, well, I mean, I think mainly because it's there is that ownership aspect from Brookfield Asset Management, and so in a way, when I, I think you know, I did Next Year Energy Partners a, f- a few months back with you guys, and yeah. that was that was the subsidiary of Next Year Energy, and it's more of a cash cow for Next Year Energy, so they mm. both benefit right from from those relationships. So Next Year Energy Partners becomes a dividend payer to Next Year Energy, and so in the same way, I think you've got those really regular contracted cash flows that are coming in and if they can uh, sort of pay that out to to brookfield uh you know asset management i think that it works for them and you're getting that growth with that dividend aspect to it as well so i think that's that's the key i think if they paid out everything i, I don't think they could deploy that much capital <laughs> that's probably the problem <laughs> there'd be too much capital to deploy so they're looking at they're looking at using debt they're looking at using you know equity issuance to raise capital to buy things but they don't need to use the the the, the funds that they generate from operations to um to to buy assets or to uh, to reinvest Okay, yeah. cool. And <clears throat> I think, you know, diving down uh, into or really understanding what you just brought up, right? So, yeah. yes, they're going to give some. And on, I feel uh, it's, it's a good idea mm. to be giving some dividends because you need to be giving some incentive for your stock. Yep. Right. Really, that's that's the answer. Infrastructure is a long game play. Nobody's going to buy now and, and sell in three so, months' time. Right. That, right. That I hope no one's doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, for anyone that is buying this stock. So keeping them there just as a form of, hey, you know what? Here's, here's a little bit. Here's a little bit. Here's a little bit. Mm. Could be a... Oh, is, is a good method is, is yeah. the way that I feel, right? Besides yeah. even asset management, uh, BAM. Um, the, other, the other thing is when they do invest and, and here comes a critical bit, how much of it is equity? How much of it is debt? Because I know that they raise some sort of debt yeah. in order to invest into this. Yeah, I think well, I, the majority of their what they're investing is actually going to be debt, right? Because they're mm. getting liquidity. Um, they have issuance of shares. You know, last, I think two two years ago, they issued a new class of shares, which was called BIPC. So there's BIP. I think maybe some background, it's a bit, it's a bit complicated with the structure. Yeah. But there are four sh- four listed shares, um, two trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange and two trade on the New York Stock Exchange. Mm. Um, but there's BIP, which is the LP units. That's like the limited partner units. Um, they're the original uh, and then they created a new class of shares called BIPC, which is Brookfield Infrastructure Partners Corp Corporation. So this isn't probably going to concern <laughs> Singaporean investors or any anyone really investing here um, in Asia. But for U.S. investors, there are you know K one forms that you've got to fill out if you buy LP units, and then you know the the, the corp units were really created for individual investors in the U.S. and also uh, institutions to buy the shares because there aren't there aren't tax issues related to owning those shares. But for most people. In Asia, I mean, most people who don't have any U.S. tax liabilities, it would make sense to just buy the original shares. 
there's uh, Brookfield Infrastructure, BIP. And that's um, an NYSE. That's one NYSE, and, and they also do the equivalent on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So it depends, you know, what you want to do. If you want to buy it in, in, in Canada, that's fine. Um, the BIP shares do tend to trade at a slight premium um, to the BIP shares because of the demand from institutions and from U.S. individual investors. Okay. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. But there was a time when the premium was huge, but I think it's narrowed down now, and it might be around sort of less than 10%. So I don't think it's too too crazy. But obviously, if you're buying BIP shares, you'll get a higher yield if you've got, you know, if, if it's cheaper. So it makes uh, it makes more sense if you don't have any tax liabilities in Asia to just to just buy the original shares. Got it. Yeah. Oh, and going back, so sorry, I think I went, a bit went off track there. So we did most uh, of it yeah kidding. yeah <laughs> it's the, that was just background to, i don't even yeah. need to moderate that you're just moving back yeah yeah so that <laughs> was like that was background <laughs> no so a lot of what they a lot of what they raise is um they were they raise they raise debt right so they're they're always issuing notes they're issuing like convertible debt but what they do is they they make sure that they manage the the tenures like they they hedge a lot of their ffo as well into mm. into us dollars um and they're refinancing obviously at lower rates. So last year they locked in about nine billion in refinancing um, at super low rates, right? And and they extended out the average duration uh, maturity by debt duration by five years. Uh, and so that that's and it, it totally turned out to be right because you obviously seen what the interest rate environment is looking like now. Um, so these guys know what they're doing. Um, they went in in a rock bottom interest rate environment, locked it in, refinanced everything, um, extended out the debt maturities. And so they don't really have any sizable debt maturities. Uh, they have pretty much no debt maturing this year. They might have, I think there's a portion next year, but they don't have any sizable debt maturities, I think, for the next three years. So they've got a very good, solid uh, risk profile. They know how they manage their their book and like they know how they manage their uh, exposure risks and, and sort of debt. But, but it is, again, this is something that is... They're, they're raising money, they rely on, on a low cost of capital and being able to find a higher return than the cost of capital by investing into projects, right? So that's that's the business model. So as I said, it is really a capital allocation and recycling play on infrastructure. And the, the key is that you don't really have access to this as an individual investor normally because you'd have to be invested in a private equity fund or a real estate infrastructure fund, mm. you know, which is only available to either accredited investors or, or, or institutions, right? So this is a listed play on infrastructure, which I think its scarcity value in the market is probably, you know, not really highlighted that much but it is a scarce type of play on infrastructure because as an everyday investor like we, me, can't, you, we can't access exactly. it right unless you've got 10 million dollars you want to go into a private wealth fund or you know <laughs> but you know or, or you're or you're you're managing temasek or you're managing a, a, a pension a pension fund in the u.s yeah. so the idea that this is an opportunity for retail investors to actually have own a piece of this infrastructure real assets that are generating cash flows i think is uh, is unique so i think that's the unique spin to this it's it's something that is normally thought of as institutional only but they've they've turned it into a vehicle that allows uh, the everyday investor to to buy into it if they want to Got it. And as of now, if you take a look at the stock, right, and, and um, they never really had it down because 2008 was the biggest down and they, yep. they came in 2009, so on, yep. on the uplift. On the uplift, yeah. How did they fare over the last two years? I think that's probably the first question. And how are they faring now? Yeah, so actually over the last two years, they've done, they've held up really, really well. They've outperformed over the past one, three and five year period against the S&P. And mm. as I mentioned, it's 13 over the past 13 years as well. But over the past, um, over the past two years, they've, they've held up really well because it was surprising to see in the pandemic, they, they held their dividend stable. They okay. still managed to grow uh, FFO. And so it wasn't as though, again, 
as I'd mentioned earlier, if they if there's a massive crisis, as you saw in, in March of 2020, when everything just shuts down and people need to sell assets and get it off their books to raise cash, there's going to be a Brookfield infrastructure waiting to buy those assets, right? right. As, as, it's like a knockdown price. So okay. in a way, they, they, they managed to really take advantage of that first and second quarter in 2020 to pick up some really, really great assets and okay. then build that out. And so they've actually performed really, really well because similar to REITs in Singapore, if you think about logistics REITs and industrial REITs, they weren't hit because they everyone still needs to, those things to, to work, right? You need your you need your Lazada or your Shopee delivery. Yeah. That That's going to be basically going through a logistics property. So those DPUs and those dividends didn't really get, I mean, they might have got cut a bit, but they really didn't get hammered as much as, you know, a retail REITs dividends or a, or a um, commercial REITs dividends where everyone's nice. working from home. So I think in a similar vein, Brookfield Infrastructure provides that because it's, it's the assets that make the economy base and the world basically turn right it's it's those ports it's those pipelines that will flow if there's a pandemic no matter what if there's a recession that that those things will Mm. still flow and in this inflationary environment i think that's what's helped them as well because as people have thought about inflation not being transitory and actually this is going to be this is here to stay as we've seen over the past six seven months with inflation figures they have about 80 90 percent of their ffo tied to inflation linked contracts right so it's inflation linked so they are seeing that I mean, management in the in the Q4 in their like 2021 uh, report letter to shareholders, Sam Pollock was saying that he sees it he sees it as a tailwind to the business short term mm. because they're going to be able to raise those prices, you know, with the contracts that they've got with, with the inflation escalators that they've got in there. Um, it, it's only going to turn dangerous if you know inflation becomes entrenched. But I think that's going to become you know that's going to be the least of our problems. There's going to be a lot more issues. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> inflation yes. entrenched for the next like <laughs> ten years at nine percent. So that's, that's um, okay. yeah. <laughs> So I think okay. that's the um, that's the that's the key for them is that they've they've managed to make the best of 2020, mm-hmm. picking up some uh, some good deals. Um, Do you have any like like examples for us? What, what did they pick up? Uh, yeah, so I think in do? in 2000 um, in 2020 they bought some they bought like a UK uh, smart meter business, a portfolio of UK smart meters, uh, and then they've also recently um, sold out of their North American district energy business uh, for about 4.1 billion last year they actually bought a uh, majority stake and they took over IPL which is a into pipeline which is a midstream energy transporter like a pipeline operator in Canada but it serves a lot of the ports in the US and Canada for LNG so it's actually one of the most mm. crucial infrastructure and network uh, sort of operators in the midstream energy and gas like natural gas uh, sector and they've they bought that out at for about 12 billion with 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 various partners and they've you know they're seeing uh, they're aiming for an IRR of around 20% on that deal uh, over the lifetime over 12 years and so I think that's going to be um, you know that's the kind of deal that they are you know that they really love because I think they went in with Brookfield Asset Management they went in with various other partners they they have an equity stake in that deal but they don't they didn't take on the whole deal themselves um, and so they're they're leading that they're leading that deal and, and I think those types of those types of opportunistic deals and if they see opportunity to to and they see the tailwinds for those businesses they'll pick them up um, and so that was that was a that was a big deal last year that they completed okay yeah cool I mean, so far it seems like they have a golden ball and they have inflationary linked contracts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They have. It's all good, right? Hitting, there's all, no, there's hitting no risk. all the right notes here. No, but there is risk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's get to that one. <laughs> 
I don't yeah. think I don't think they have a little golden ball there. No, 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 no. Zeus is over there yeah. and telling them what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean I mean their their track record is great, but I yeah. think you have to be uh, cognizant of the risks with I guess any any fund that is operating on capital recycling, they have to keep up that track record, right? That track record has to continue to be uh, pristine. If they start to see FFO drop or, or the return or mm. like IRR drop on, on projects, then that's going to be a massive red flag for investors, right? Because the tr- they, they are really, their reputation precedes them because of the share price performance, because of the FFO growth, because of the business growth that they've, that they've um, executed. So yes. I think any flagging or deterioration in that track record is, is, is dangerous, right? And and so when you think about CEO succession, maybe Sam Pollock, that, that hasn't really been talked about what happens after that. But they have a really set team in there. But is that person going to be able to, to push on uh, Brookfield to the next to the next level? Um, the macro environment, I mean, that's unavoidable, right? If it's a t- mm. tough macro environment, um, as, I, as I said, there's going to be opportunities to pick up stuff. But then there might be, it might be harder for them to offload and to recycle as, as frequently as they want to. Yeah. Um, and with costs, you know, they're... They're running costs, a fixed cost structure, right? So if things start to rise and they're basing their outlooks on 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 costs not getting out of control, but if costs do get out of control with with the amount of assets that they own, real assets, um, then that could be a problem. So as as Sam Pauli said, it's a tailwind in the short term inflation, but if inflation starts to seep into into everything else, into costs, into capex, into 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 construction, um, then that might be, you know, sort of a tail risk for the company as well. Yeah. Yeah, because this is quite a execute execution company, right? You yeah. gotta execute you, well. Yeah. You have to. That's it. Yeah. And and for me, one of the biggest risks here is like you mentioned, it's the people. Yeah. It's the people that make this company work. Right. And there's a reason why the CEO has been there since that one two thousand six. Two thousand six, yeah. Two thousand six. Yeah. Right? So yes, maybe the CEO goes, but and the CEO succession is something that you brought up. Right. But are the critical key holders in there that if yeah. that person goes maybe one tier down two mm. tiers down from the mm. ceo yeah that's critical as well yeah i mean i guess the chief financial officer and, and any of the c-suite execs that could be an issue but brookfield seems to have this system where they <laughs> rotate execs from one part of the business to the other so i think they have this they have mm. this system where they want execs to get experience in different parts of the business i mean because they are they're a giant so they have renewable they have the private equity uh credit like debt side as well and then they've got the whole brookfield asset management parent right which yeah. is just which is just everything um and so if you look at connor teske who's the ceo at brookfield renewable i think he had served time in you know various other parts of the business as well and so with the level down if you're looking at managing partners i'm sure there's someone in there that is you know maybe going to be tipped to be the next sam pollock or the the seat to take over from him whenever he decides to step down um so i think these guys and their tenure and their longevity at the at the firm they're maybe isn't as much key man risk as say if a founder left a tech company who was you know like a, a steve jobs and look at even steve jobs it, it turned out well with tim cook right so it was like he did, <laughs> well that's, that's like, an argument that's yeah an yeah argument. well you know i mean it turned out well for apple shareholders you were yes. thinking oh it's yeah. gonna be terrible but you know he just continued to take it to the next level because he was an operational wizard right so i think it's Absolutely. it's um in this as you said in this space it's all about execution on deals on making sure the financials work out and making sure the debts works out and so i think with the team that they have there and the the breadth of the team um it doesn't seem like there's as much key man risk as you would expect uh to have maybe at a at a, an invasive tech or um you know um larger tech firm so it's a bit more it's a bit more focused on on the due diligence 
the deal, the deal flow? And can they can they continue to attract those deals that are going to generate high returns, right? And so at this point, there's nothing to say that they're not going to. So if that does turn and they, you know, they have a, they have a few quarters of really terrible deals and, or, or, you know, then, then it could be that's something to think about or something to consider. Um, but the track record over the past 13 years has suggested that's otherwise, right? So I think it's until innocent until proven guilty, as you say, right? You've got to yep. see, are they, are they, but that is definitely a risk that you have to consider when you think about, uh, when you think about the stock. I mean, I think um, the, the other, the other risk that I see is, or a couple of things, right? Number one, they're, they're all over the world. And while they're diversified, they clearly have a treasury. Yeah, they have to have that treasury, yeah. and the treasury's got to be running well as yeah. well because yeah. if they're receiving money in so many currencies. How's mm. the FX going to play out? Yeah, um, do you see that? Is that has been that has that been a current risk or something they're trying to manage? Or how? it's weird because in the past quarter, um, it, they they released earnings. Actually, I mean we're, we're recording on Saturday. They released earnings on uh, on Wednesday, mm. um, and they saw thirty percent growth in FFO right year on year. So I mean that's pretty substantial growth. Um, and that's in U.S. dollars. So I US think it's gone up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. US dollars gone up. Yeah, but then again, I'm, as you were saying, a lot of the sixty percent of FFO is actually outside. And look at the oh. euro and look at Asian currencies versus the dollar. Yeah. And so I think that kind of speaks to their FX hedging and their man- their risk management. I think I think about eighty five. I mean, don't, don't quote me on this, but I think around eighty five to ninety percent of their FFO is hedged into USD already. So okay. it's already quite managed. And you kind of saw that come in in Q two. It's it didn't seem to you know there was no mention of of FX having a massive impact on on FFO or, or, or FFO per share. Um, so I think that's something that they obviously have a team on in terms of in terms of managing that risk. Um, the question I have here is, you know, with with me or with Ian Coconuts who are quite heavily into tech, some of the metrics you look at on on the balance sheet mm. and the cash flow is FCF. Yeah. Should we look at it this way for for BIP because they don't really have a lot of FCF. So yeah, how would they buy? another project that you were mentioning, right? Picking up at, at cheap prices. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I think, yeah, we talked about this just before recording, right? It's, it's the free cash flow is in, again, revenue. They don't, they, they talk about revenue, but revenue is not really a, a metric that you look at from this kind of company because it's, it's more the, the funds from operations that they're mm. generating. Mm. And in that sense, again, I don't think free cash flow is a good metric to look at for a, capital intensive business or capital recycling business, which is what they are. So they raise a lot of money from asset sales, right? I mean, think, I think they raised around sort of 1.5 to 2 billion already so far this year. And they've, and they've got commitments of, or they've made acquisitions worth 3 billion. And that was for their 2022 target. So they've already met their 2022 target and it's only <laughs> July, right? So that was their investment pipeline. And they've seen deals that they think are good enough that they've already hit their 2022 investment target in, mm. in August. Um, so, it's more about recycling capital, finding uh, deals that they've turned around, exiting at a massive, you know, uh, multiple of cost. You know, a lot of the deals that they're exiting, they can they easily see five, six uh, times multiple of cost. And so that to them is like, it's a good time to exit. We have a buyer who's willing to pay. Yeah. We're, getting the, we're getting the money. And then now we're, gonna, we're then going to recycle that, right? So they're not, it's not being paid out. That's not coming up in, in the balance sheet as, as, as cash flow. So cash flow is not really, is not, yeah, free cash flow because of their capital intensive nature of the business okay. is not really that applicable to to a Brookfield infrastructure. So mm-hmm. from that perspective, it's more an investment in, as I said, real assets in the real economy. Um, and and remembering that this is capital intensive and <laughs> capital allocation like heavy as well. Gotcha. Um, cool. Dividend. Tell, tell oh yeah, dividend. Dividends. Yeah, so five to nine percent they aim to grow. They've they've grown it at around ten percent, um, as I said. 
the yield is around 3.5%. So it's not the highest yielder, mm. but I've talked about this before about dividend growth being more important if you're relatively young. You don't want a 6% yielder that grows at 1% a year. Yep. You want a 3 or 4% yielder that grows at, you know, 10, 15, 20% a year because you're going to compound that over years. So that's better. Um, so they've got that record of compounding it over the past years. Um, they are listed in New York. They're listed in Toronto, as I said. Um, the structure is, again, the way they pay out the dividend is very, it's a bit convoluted. So okay. they pay some as a dividend and then they pay some out of income. So it it's like a return of capital. Okay. So some of that dividend will be taxed uh, and then some mm. of it won't. So the effective rate, if you're thinking, oh, if I buy the New York shares, I'm going to get taxed 30%, you, you won't because they're first, A, they're kind of the domicile, so that has a lower uh, tax withholding rate with, with Singapore. Mm. Uh, and then second, a lot of it doesn't get paid out um, as a dividend. And so it, it's not taxed at that 30% rate that you would expect. Um, so okay. you, get a, you get a fair chunk of it um, of the dividend without being without being penalized on the tax. So I think it's something that you should think about and consider. I think it, it's it's worth um, because I know a lot of Singapore investors just just recoil at the horror of that of that thirty percent withholding yes. tax. <laughs> but yes. if you think about the compounding effect of it, and then as I said with BIP having that um, taxing a small component of the dividend, mm. uh, it works out well. I think for for investors at the okay. end of the day. Got you. So yeah. How do we put this in, you know, how do we put this in our portfolio? Should we, okay, first question yeah. is, should we invest in it? Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan, so I, <laughs> I would say, yeah. It, this is probably like one of, I think this has become one of my top positions um, okay. in my portfolio. Yeah. Um, I'm, 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 a, I'm a huge tech guy as well. I really like investing in tech that, you know, the mm. business models are exciting. There's that... Um, you know the founder-led visions, and 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 it's super. It is super exciting, and we're all familiar with it, right? Mm. But I think this gives you a good counterweight to that growth-heavy, super, heavy. yeah, risk-heavy, <laughs> risk-heavy sort of stock in your portfolio portion of your portfolio, right? So this officially comes under as a utility, but it's you know it's not really utility. It's more of a. It's more. I don't know how you would class it utility slash industrial, but it's effectively. Mm owning real parts of the economy and owning what makes the economy tick. So I think in that sense, you've got the inflation-adjusted earnings that are, that, that are linked, uh, inflation-linked contracts. Yep. You've got um, a lot of their stuff is contracted. So the average contract, you know, is maybe 10, 12 years. A lot of it is, is long-term. Um, they've got the transition aspect of it from, you know, the bridging with, with natural gas. They're doing data centers. They're moving in. They're buying up um, sort of more like uh, telecom towers in like India and Australia, for example. Okay. So they've got um, they've got their eyes on what's the next transition as well for infrastructure in the digital economy. They're not they're not your typical old school infrastructure play. It's more yeah. about a mix of you've got the transportation, the gas, the utility side, and then you've also got the uh, you've also got the data centers, the telecom towers, the five G play as well, right? So. Yeah. That's that's the the angle, but I think it gives it a good. It, it's one of those that we, you'd be happy to sort of DCA into dollar cost average mm. into, right? Because it's like, okay, I'm just going to continue to average into this. It's it's it pays a dividend. There's a bit of cash flow for you. You're yep. not going to lose any sleep at night over it because it's not mm. really going to drop thirty uh, percent on bad earnings. <laughs> you see, with yes. some of these tech companies, you're Man, like, wow, the- it's like a roller coaster. Some <laughs> of these companies, you're just like, wow, what's that was a bad earning? Okay, twenty thirty percent. All right, no, that was, was a good earnings. Yeah, forecast was, was decreased was, a little yeah, bit. Bam, bam, yeah, percent. Right? And then like, oh, they beat and they raised guidance. Oh wow, it's up forty percent. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so there's um, there's that emotional 
it's not as much of an emotional roller coaster, yeah. I would say, on a on that perspective. And because there's not much, there's not that much hype as well. There's not much hype. Yeah, it's boring. I mean, it is boring, right? Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, I'm trying to get listeners and the audience excited about it, but it's I'm excited about it. But I can understand that it's not the business they're in is not sexy, jazzy, sexy. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's not. It's, not, it's yeah. not a sexy industry, and so. Someone has to do it. Someone has to, to buy these assets. Someone has to recycle these assets. Um, and, you know, for me, these guys are, are some of the best in the business at doing that. Got it. So where would you put that in your portfolio, right? For example, mm. you have your tech stocks and maybe you have your other stocks. Yeah. Then you might have some bonds, REITs. Yeah. Right at the bottom, maybe. Yeah. Where would you place this? I would place that in the... I mean, if you're looking at your stock portfolio, it's more of a dividend growth play, right? There's mm. that growth. I mean, the, you know, growthility moniker. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, does, it does lend itself to that because there's that earnings buffer and safety in, in the sense that this stuff will always produce earnings. Yeah. Um, but they're also growing that dividend at a rate that is difficult to find in a, in a Singapore REIT, right? That growing a dividend at 10% per year, it's, it's not that easy yeah. over a sustained period of time. So I would put it in, you know, as, as a, as a really, as a, maybe a, a, a rock solid core dividend stock. If you want a dividend mm-hmm. stock, this is maybe a good opportunity to, to add or start a, div, a dividend portfolio. Cause I know a lot of, a lot of, you know, tech investors, a lot of them won't have dividend stocks, so maybe they're not interested in it and it's boring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is one that you can just continue to, to hold and you don't really have to be too worried. I mean, you have to obviously monitor it just like anything. You have to monitor earnings, make sure that uh, all the issues we discussed that they're still making good deals and they're still yeah. recycling capital at, at better rates, et cetera, et cetera. But it's one of those that you can hold in, I, I would put it in the same class as a REIT, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. real assets. REITs tend to even though there's all that talk about REITs doing really badly in times of high rising interest rates, they actually tend to outperform in inflationary times because mm. just like BIP, um, if they own quality assets, they'll be able to raise prices. So if you own quality real estate, you'll be able to raise prices right over over, over the years if inflation is high. And so in that sense, um, Brookfield Infrastructure, I put in the same bucket as a REIT, but on the focus on on the infrastructure and the growth, more growth than you'd see in a real estate play. Gotcha. Yeah. So this one you would see what a two year play, a three year play. I'd say this is a 10, 5, 10, 10, 15 right. years, man. <laughs> Just hold it, hold it. You know, like you know, unless the retirement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, retirement. Yeah, this is the retirement play, right? This is your retirement. Play. It's boring. I know people in the twenties don't want to talk about retirement, but. <laughs> <laughs> One of those that you can just put away, suck away, and um, and you know, and and don't don't freak out about it. It's not it's not something that you know. When you talk about technology stocks, there's always that worry of, hey, are we going to get disrupted by the next whatever, right? I mean, yes. you're looking at Meta now. I'm thinking, wow, they're getting disrupted by TikTok, and yeah. are they still oh, going like to be? Are they still going to be big, right, in three or four years? Yeah. Um, and this is just is not going to happen, right? With a REIT, you're not going to get disrupted because it's physical real estate, and with infrastructure, mm. you're not going to get disrupted. It's it's owning that those assets, having the capital, um, barriers to entry are super super high. Um, and so for that, it's, it's not, there's not that worry of, of disruption and competition per se. It's more, you sleep easy at night, get a yield, get a dividend, but also maybe see some share price appreciation mm. along the way as well. 
Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. This was a this was a good good chat away from away from. It tech. was. It was. Yeah. yeah. I know. I mean, I am into tech, so this is the thing. I feel like every time I come on here, I'm talking about dividend or or, or what you term less than you know boring stocks. But yeah. I am into tech. I just want to open up investors' no, minds no. to like other other areas of, of the market. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I know. Thanks. Thanks so much for always coming on and bringing yeah. something different, right? Yeah. Because it's it's good to know about these stocks, the ones that fly under the radar. Yeah. Definitely. You know, to use your term, the boring stocks, because yeah. these are these are the ones that are going to save your ass. Yeah, when yeah. you need them the most. And so. the key, and the key is, is do they outperform? Right. I mean, yes. that's the key. I think with anyone who picks stocks as well, you're as a stock picker, anyone who picks their own stocks, make sure you're outperforming the S and P. And so, mm. when I look at a BIP and their shares and what they've done in their track record, you know that you really can't argue against that. And so, holding it in a in a portfolio, I think um, it makes sense for for anyone or any risk profile. Got it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks so much, Tim, thanks for, for coming on again. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Rakesh. Yeah. Good cool. Stuff. Cool, cool. Thanks, Coconuts. We'll see you at the next one. Bye. Bye.